Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come joyfully before you today. You are our strength. You are our joy giver. You are our king. You are our God. Father, may we learn more about you today. May we apply it to our lives. May our love for you grow and our knowledge of you expound. And the evidence of our life show to others the love that you have for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, last Sunday was Easter. It was a great, great Sunday. The choir sang. It was, it was beautiful. Uh, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We celebrated the coming of grace. We celebrated the redemption of man. And all of this was accomplished at the cross by a man named Jesus. But he was much more than a man. So this week I want to ask you, who is Jesus? And as you grab your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35, and as you're looking, last night I did a search on Amazon.com for Jesus. And I came up with 387,161 results. So then I did a search on the World Wide Web. And in 0.08 seconds, I got 59,300,000 responses. Or you can just ask people, who is Jesus? Like John Meacham and Sally Quinn did from Newsweek on their website under a tab on faith back in 2006 during Christmas. And then you better stand back as all the opinions start to fly. Well, from Lee Strobel's book, Case for Real Jesus, he printed some of those, and I got the ten top responses, my top ten responses that people had on that website in 2006 when they were asked the question, Who is Jesus? Jesus is real in the sense that he exists for those who want him to exist. Jesus was every man. His name could have well have been Morris. Too bad he was in male form this time around. Better luck next time. I believe Jesus is the Son of God, as I believe I am the Son of God. Jesus is about as real as Santa Claus, the Tooth Fairy, or King Arthur. Jesus is the Son of God who was born died, and rose from the dead to save us from our sins. He lives today, and he will come to earth again. Finally, somebody got it right. Jesus was an apocalyptic preacher who thought God would intervene to save Israel from Roman rule and himself from death. God didn't do either. Jesus died disappointed, and that's that. Anything more is fantasy. Honestly, I don't care about Jesus. Who or what he is or was or isn't, it doesn't affect me. There is no separation or distinction between where God leaves off 
and where we begin. We are all one. We are all divine. Just like Jesus. Jesus was a man. We should pity more than revile or worship. He suffered from what contemporary psychologists now know to be delusions of grandeur, bipolar disorder, and probably acute schizophrenia. And finally, who was Jesus? An apocalyptic prophet who bet wrong and died as a result. He should be ignored, not celebrated. This is the world we live in who don't know Jesus. Who is Jesus? But throughout history, when people meet Jesus, they are forced to answer this question. Who is Jesus? And according to how they answer that question and what they believe, they will respond. They'll accept, reject, question. There will be a response. Well, today we're going to see four ways that Jesus showed that he is God through nine different encounters in these passages. So read with me as I read Mark, starting in verse 35. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, here we have his encounter with the disciples. Now, this is not their first encounter, of course, with Jesus. They were with him at Capernaum when he taught in the synagogue. And everybody was amazed at his teaching. And there in the synagogue was a man with an unclean spirit. And the unclean spirit recognized who Jesus was and cried out, Why have you come? We know who you are. You are the Most High God. And Jesus responded to the unclean spirit and cast him out of the man. And all the people were like, Who is this man? that even the unclean spirits obey him. Well, the disciples were with him when he left the synagogue, and they went to Simon's house. And when they get to Simon's house, Simon's mother-in-law was sick with fever. Jesus lays hands on her, and instantly she's healed. And she takes care of him that day. And then that evening, the disciples were with him when he went out, and a great gathered of people that says the whole town came out, and many were healed. And many evil spirits were cast out. They saw all of this. They were with him when he healed the leper and he traveled about. They were with him when he came back to Capernaum. And he comes into the house and so many people come that nobody else can get into the house. And some men bring their friend who is paralyzed and they can't get in. 
So they get him up on the roof. And they open up a hole in the roof. And they drop their friend down. And as they're dropping him down before Jesus, as he's teaching in the house, Jesus looks up and sees him and he says, Your sins are forgiven. Well, the scribes there, they're thinking to themselves, Only God can forgive sins. Who's this man? That he is forgiving sins? Well, Jesus perceived what they were saying. And he turns to them and he says, What is easier to say to a paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven or get up, take up your mat and walk. And so you will know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins on earth. He turns to the paralytic and he says, Get up, take your mat and walk. And instantly he gets up and he walks out so that they would know who he was. Well, the disciples saw all of this. And here we pick the story up at the end of another long day of ministry. Jesus had many long days of ministry, giving out of himself. And this day was no different. He was teaching all day, and such a massive crowd came while he was teaching along the Sea of Galilee that he had to get into a boat just off the shore so he could teach to the massive crowd. And he's teaching them in parables about the four soils and the mustard seed. And when evening comes, he says to his disciples, let's go to the other side. Now, perhaps he wanted to go to the other side to get away from the crowd and get a little rest. Perhaps he wanted to go to a new area of ministry. Perhaps both. Scripture doesn't say. But what it does say is the disciples get in the boat. After all, they were experienced fishermen. And they take him across. And they start going across. Well, Jesus is exhausted. So he lays down in the boat and he goes to sleep. Because, you see, Jesus was fully man. He needed rest. So he's sleeping, and then shortly, a great storm arises. Now, this is not a new thing for the Sea of Galilee. It's actually below sea level, and it's kind of in a bowl. And when the winds would whip across, whip across it would get the winds, the waves going, and, uh, and storms would come very quickly. But this was a very bad storm. The waters were already coming into the boat. These experienced men are afraid And they know that the boat is probably going to sink. And they're not going to make it. I can imagine their excitement. I actually like what they do next, which is to wake Jesus. But I like how Luke says it in 8.24. They run to him and they say, Master, Master! I like that because I picture it in uh, in ourselves when we get excited. How we got to repeat things. I think of sporting events and uh, a tight game. And somebody will get a hit uh, in, in softball. And we'll say, Run! Run! Like they didn't hear us the first time. we got to repeat it. Or they're coming around third base and I'll be coaching. I'll go, 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 go. Because you're excited. These guys were excited. There was a lot happening and they were afraid. And Mark, it says, they say, do you not care, teacher? Do you not care that we're about to perish? I love Jesus' response. His first response was to calm the storm. And he gets up and he says, Peace, be still. And immediately the winds stop and the waves stop. Everything is calm. And can't you see it? He turns to them and he says, Why are you afraid? Who is this man? Only God has the power to stop the storms. 
Jesus had clearly showed them who he was. And he says, do you not believe? Do you not have faith? Just because Jesus was asleep, was he not still in control? Did they not know that it was God with him? They still had doubts. They weren't completely convinced, as they would come to be later, that he was God. I think we're like that. Even though we know all the stories, we have our doubts about if he's there with us, taking care of things, if we'll trust him completely. Well, they, uh, they woke him. They asked if he cared. He calms the storm, and he asked them why they're afraid. The disciples still did not realize that he was Jesus. There's a couple of uh, verses in Psalms that they knew. The Psalm of David 29, 3 and 4 clearly shows them. says, he, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. And even more specifically, they knew Psalm 107, 29 said, he made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. But they were still puzzled with all the evidence. Who is this? Somehow their teacher, Jesus, did what only God can do. You see, when the storm comes up and the waves start going from the wind, you can stop the wind, and the wind can stop, but it takes a while for the waves to settle down. But not for Jesus. Instantly, both stopped, clearly demonstrating his power, clearly showing who he was. Well, as we continue on in Mark, he also showed he was God by casting out demons. We'll pick it up, Mark chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day... Among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city, and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. 
and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man, to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from them, to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. (coughs) First, here we see the encounter with the demon. It says, this man, who was demon-possessed, couldn't be bound. He would break free of any shackles and chains. No one had the strength. He scared everybody that was around him. But as soon as Jesus shows up, from afar, he sees Jesus, and he comes running and bowing down. Because he knew who Jesus was. He bows down before Jesus because he knew that he was the Most High God. And he says, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, don't torment us. Don't cast us out. Don't Judge us yet. Because they knew as an enemy of God, judgment was coming. You know, we had the disciples, and they doubted. And I would question you, do you doubt God? Are you willing to trust Him to hold your whole life and everything that He does? Or perhaps you are an enemy of God. The Bible says, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and had your sins forgiven, you are an enemy of God and judgment is coming. These demons knew that. They were afraid of his power. But then we also see the herdsmen there and their response. They fled in fear. They see the power of Jesus and what had happened and they go running and they go telling everybody, that what they saw, stirring up problems. So the people that hear the story, they want to come and check this out. And they show up, and here's this man who everybody was afraid of sitting there, fully dressed, and in his right mind, calm as could be. Wow. And then they tell him about the pigs and what had happened with the pigs. And they're like, oh, man, they're afraid of this guy. Maybe they're afraid because they're going to lose more. If he casts more demons out, they'll lose more wealth. Maybe they're afraid just because of the power that was displayed. But instead of coming to Jesus, they begged him to leave, to depart. So he did. And we don't have any account in Scripture of him ever returning there. People respond to Jesus in his power differently. You can run to Jesus... Or you can run away from Jesus. Where are you? Then we have the encounter with the man. You know, he was completely changed. Who he was before Jesus is nothing compared to who he was after Jesus. I praise God that who I was before Jesus is nothing compared to who I am after Meeting Jesus. And I pray that's true for you. That you have met Jesus and you know the power 
that he has in your life. And he changes life if you come to him. And then this man begged to be with Jesus. What a difference. Not afraid of his judgment, not afraid of his power. Begged to be with him. Longing to be together with Christ. Isn't that how we should be? Longing. I desire to be with God. I look forward to when I'm in heaven and I get eternity with God. But God has other plans for now. Just like he had other plans for that man. He said, no, you can't come with me right now. You need to go to the hillside. You need to go to the ten cities. You need to go share what Christ has done for you. Don't we have a similar command? Didn't Christ tell us to go and share what he has done for us? How are you doing with that? Are you willing to put yourself out there and share Christ with people? If God has made a difference in your life, are you willing to share that with others? Or do you kind of keep quiet and don't, don't want to talk about it? God has called us to share what he has done. Just like this man was changed. We are changed. Just like that man was to go and he obeyed. We need to go and share the gospel. Share what God has done for us and obey. That's what God is calling us to. And I pray that is what you are doing. But as we continue here, he also showed that he was God by healing the sick and he showed that he was God by raising the dead. Continue in Mark, starting at verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And when he went with him, and he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians. And had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crown and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself... That power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garment? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This lady had great faith. She felt if she could only touch his clothes, just to be close to his presence, his power, she could be healed. She had suffered for 12 years, spent all of her money on doctors and everything that she could to find a cure and to 
be made right, but she just grew worse. She couldn't do anything on her own that would make the difference. But she believed in faith that if she could touch him, it would make the difference. And she was able to get in position. And as soon as she touched him, she was instantly healed. And Jesus says, who touched me? Not because he didn't know who had touched him. Not because he isn't sovereign and was in control. He desired to have a personal relationship with this lady. Many people were touching him. There wasn't any special power in his garment that she touched the right spot and others missed. It was Jesus. And he said, who touched me? Stops. And the disciples are like, well, everybody's touching you. But she knew and he knew. And she comes to him humbly. That's how we need to come to Jesus. And he says to her, your faith has healed you. So that she knew there was no magical power. And she knew that it was Jesus Christ that had done this for her. Her faith, his power. That's how we need to live. Our faith, his power. That's what God is calling us to. But then we have Jarius witnessing this. This lady for 12 years has suffered and Jesus heals her. He has a 12-year-old daughter at home dying, trying to get there. But this delay, soon as he's done with this lady, some people's come up and they say, don't bother the master anymore. Your daughter's already dead. That's the next passage in the scripture. We won't take time to read it. But I want to talk about the encounter that he had with Jairus. Because his faith, he had great faith. But man, was it tested. Because not was he just asking Christ to heal his daughter. Now he was told his daughter's dead. Well, it's too late. Or is it? Jesus says, don't fear. Trust me. How's your faith? Are you counting in the things you know? Or are you counting on Jesus Christ? We can't control what happens around us as much as we like to. But we can control putting our faith in Jesus Christ and trusting Him to handle the situations around us. Because sometimes He'll calm those waters and He'll calm those storms and address us. But sometimes He has to deal with us in the midst of the storm. Where's your faith? Jarius continues with Jesus to go home. And in the end, he is so glad because Jesus walks into the house and hears all these mourners wailing and weeping. And he says, hey, don't cry. Don't wail. She's not dead. She's merely asleep. What? And they start laughing at him. They reject him. They mock him. And Jesus says, out. You see, for those who reject Jesus, they will not have part of his house. There is a difference. There is judgment. Those were put out. And he goes to the little girl and he says, arise. And she gets up and she wakes up. And then he tells them, feed her. I believe that's there for a specific purpose. See, this girl was brought back to life humanly. She was still subject to death. She needed food for her body to sustain life. 
unlike being resurrected, which someday we'll all have a perfect form. So she wasn't brought back from the dead resurrected. She was brought back to human life, showing his power that only God could do, and in some way a foreshadowing of the power that he's going to do when he raises himself from the dead in perfect glory. These are different encounters that we have in this passage as an overview. But in Mark 6, he goes home. Jesus goes to Nazareth. He went away from there and he came to his homeland. And the disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph, and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty works there, except that he healed except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. We have the responses of people, and many of them respond differently when they meet Jesus. Some will accept, and their eternal destinies are changed forever. Some still question. I haven't quite gotten there yet. Some reject and send him away. What is Jesus' response? He sees them reject and he marvels at their unbelief. With all that I've shown them, with all that I've done, with all that I've taught, can they not see that I am the Christ? And he marvels at their unbelief. We have the Bible. We have the complete words of God showing us who He is. What is God's response to you? Is He marveling at your unbelief, at your lack of trust in Him, at your lack of allowing Him to be Lord of your life, at the lack of you believing that He can handle all things, or even at the lack of you believing who Jesus is? Will Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Or will he say, depart from me because I never knew you? What is Jesus' response going to be to you? That's what I want to challenge you with this morning. We all respond differently. Who do you think Jesus is? We need to be sure that you know that he is God. That he is God's son that came to the earth died on a cross so that your sins can be forgiven. And he has power over all things. He has power over the seas, over demons, over sickness. He has power over death. He has power over family problems. He has power over financial problems. He has power over marriage problems. Do you trust Jesus? Are you living in a way that shows that you trust Jesus? Well, in 2010, two years ago, a 
11-year-old boy named Jack Stockton got who Jesus is. And he, I will read a quote from him, talked about who Jesus was. He talked about some different passages in the Bible, different books in the Bible. And then he says this. He is the first and the last. The beginning and the end. He is the keeper of creation and the creator of all. He is the architect of the universe and manager of all times. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. Unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never undone. He was bruised and brought healing, pierced and eased pain, persecuted and brought freedom, dead and brought life. He is risen and brings power. He reigns and brings peace. The world can't understand him. Armies can't defeat him. Schools can't explain him. And leaders can't ignore him. Herod couldn't kill him. The Pharisees couldn't confuse him. The people couldn't hold him. Nero couldn't crush him. Hitler couldn't silence him. The New Age can't replace him. And Oprah can't explain him away. His love, he is life, love, longevity, and more. He is goodness, kindness, gentleness, and God. He is holy, righteous, mighty, powerful, and pure. His ways are right. His word eternal. His will is unchanging. And his mind is on me. He is my Redeemer. He is my Savior. He is my God. He is my peace. He is my joy. He is my comfort. He is my Lord. He rules my life. Boy, did that boy get it. If we could be that strong. Well, the drama team is going to come in a moment. And then we're going to, uh, to sing some songs. Now, I want you to sing in response to God and to Him. So I'm looking for you to sing out. And then at the end, I will give an invitation for an opportunity for you to respond. If you have doubts, you can respond to that. If you have concerns about your salvation or have never accepted Christ, today can be the day that that changes. If you have something in your life that you need to yield and let the Lord be the master of your life, I want to encourage you to come and lay it down before Him today. So I'm going to ask the drama team to get in place as we pray. And we'll close our service. Pray with me, please. Father, I do thank you for this morning. The power of your word. We thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross. So that my sins could be forgiven. We thank you that he showed who he was. That he is God. Thank you that he showed his power by calming the storms, and he had the power over all of creation. Thank you that he showed his power by casting out demons, and they are subject to his power. And we know who will win. Thank you that he had power to heal and showed that he was God. Thank you that he showed he was God by raising the dead. And thank you that he died on the cross and rose again for our sins to be forgiven. Father, help us to know who Jesus is. Not just know who he is, but know who he is. And believe it with all of our hearts. We commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.